0: You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Hey, it's Balalvani at Balalv87 on Twitter and Instagram. AW Dynamite makes a foolish stand. If you didn't know, COVID-19 is taking over the world. WWE Raw, SmackDown, and NXT sort of taking place at the Performance Center. In the case of NXT, it's a clip show. Raw, and SmackDown, uh, very limited personnel, less than ten people in the ring. And it was very clear that AEW skirted the rules, and you would have thought, you know, having the advantage of being the only live entertainment to really be going on in a full capacity, they would take advantage of it. Uh, no crowds in the stands, but they put five wrestlers on each side, not to mention the three-person commentary team, and Tony Schiavone ringside, all the camera people, all the referees, but this was a utter disappointment. Let's get into it. The show opened up partway through Cody Rhodes addressing the empty arena. Great start, guys. He rambled on, talked about Matt Jackson, pumped up his brother, uh, Jackson's brother, that is, mentioned Kenny Omega. Apparently, they don't get along all the time. They've never really shown that on TV, but that was a thing. And man, oh, man, compared to the promo Edge cut on Raw, this was not as good. Wasn't bad, just not as good. And he sort of talked himself into a corner because he began to promote blood and guts. So AEW, they can't back out now unless something out of their control happens. And he goes on. One of the Jacksons come out, the one who's not injured, of course. Kenny is out there. And Kenny spoke directly to Cody, which was smart. And he said the entire world is falling apart and they might not have a dynamite next week. That was a good way to cover yourself. He goes on to say... He wants to go out the way they came in. Not a great choice of words. Said it was the three of them. And where was Hangman? And he slowly came to the ramp. Jackson actually said this part. And Hangman paid his best John Cena impersonation and just kind of nodded his head. Although the camera work and lighting was not good enough to really sell this. But he did answer Jackson's request to join up. Kenny, for the second time, addressed there were no fans, which was unnecessary, and said they were going to give them the best show possible. He called for the lights in Pyro, which were impressive, but the cameras kind of missed a lot of them. Taz is in for Tony Schiavone on commentary. That's good news lucha brothers without pack i think would take on the best friends at least, the sense from the graphic i got we got a video package uh, on the death triangle or at least that's how it was billed but this was just sort of a whole recap of how they got started and their loss to the best friends which was a little bit too much i could have just lived with a good look at why the death triangle are a thing and why they're great this was a bit too much and really felt flat compared to the packages you would get from wwe which are more focused and more heavily produced Tony uh, was ringside before this match with MJF. And this was a little too close to Cody's promo off the top. And MJF wasn't going to wrestle because he was rich, didn't need the money, which would argue the point, why would he ever wrestle? Um, And he was gambling with Sean Spears because I think they learned their lesson from last week and they didn't even want to tease the fact he's searching for a partner. Uh, And essentially... Because they were bad guys, they were going to bet. And Tony initially objected. And then when they got offended that he objected, they offered Tony a spot. And Tony quickly cut away so he could seemingly get in on the betting, which was a nice touch. And we go right to Brandy Rhodes in the ring. Like, it's bad enough MJF is no-selling his rivalry with Cody here. But you're going right to Brandy. Not great. Uh, she is the ring announcer, but they didn't have to make this so obvious. And let alone have her in the background of this shot. Uh... You know, Cold Cabana is also ringside along with Sonny Kiss. And we find out later uh, the bad boy, uh, Chris, uh, not Chris Sabian, Joey Janella, We'll get to Sabian later. And Orange Cassidy was on ringside, uh, or was on ringside of commentary as the best friends came out. So this was way past 10 people. This is 10 people on each side of the ring, five people in the ring, including the referee, three people on commentary. This is a blatant slap in the face of the CDC and all of us trying to keep the canora, uh, the, the COVID-19 virus under control completely unacceptable like like i'm not even joking this is completely unacceptable we go on there is no pack got a lot of pyro for the lucha bros which was nice wardlow and tully are ringside too i didn't realize this until that point um orange cassidy was sleeping on the announce desk that was about the highlight of this match this was long i honestly lost all interest these guys are great workers but we've seen this before uh there's not enough orange cassidy pack not being there is painfully obvious especially as they try to sell this death triangle. Lucha Bros win, which proved they don't even need Pac. They don't even need him. And that Orange Cassidy couldn't be bothered to get up comment- off commentary to help the best friends. Tony interviews Orange Cassidy and the best friends after. And they riff- they ripped the death triangle for winning by a low blow, which I didn't even notice because I couldn't care less about this match. And next week, they would have a street fight in a real street or maybe a parking lot. I don't know. It wasn't very clear. One of those two. Multiple choice. That's a good way to cut a promo. And it's too bad because I like the best friends, but man, did they do nothing with them this week. The super bad Penelope Ford, along with Kip Sabian, came to the ring. If you missed it, Penelope Ford pinned Rio, the 133-day reigning women's champion, former women's champion, last night on Dark. And I've said it before: you just can't have these Dark matches back-to-back with uh, Dynamite. You gotta plan this better. This is stupid. Um, they were in a fatal four-way, so Rio, Penelope Ford, uh, Rio didn't seem affected by this loss at all. She was very happy to be there, going against Chris Stanlander Lander as well as Hikaru Sakura. And it's a shame I haven't really learned her name because uh, they're really high on her, and I don't know why. Ford, not even ranked in the top five, still in this Fatal Four Way, which felt like a number one contenders match, because I don't think they're going to do pre- Priestley versus uh, uh, Kong, uh, I want to say Kong against Nyla Rose, but who knows. Sabian at one point pulled Sakura and uh, Statlander to the outside. He got a nice punch in the face for that. That was great. Ford, uh, Penelope also failed a Hurricane run out. didn't help that Rio hit a great one immediately after. And we also had a nice spot where Sabian pulled in Ford to stop a roll-up. But at the end of the day, he got a flying knee for his trouble. And eventually, Shida would pin Ford. Meh. Like, uh, this is just... You know, you go the safe route, you have four, take the pinfall, you give it to Shida, and I'm just, I don't care about her as a character, she hasn't spoken, and I, I what is her character? She just wins? What, what is her, Heroku Shida, I can't even say her first name, what is her character? I don't even know, she is maybe one of the least recognizable wrestlers on this brand, she's a great wrestler, but she's not the greatest wrestler, maybe she is the greatest wrestler in this women's division but she has no character and that's just not enough and i'm just completely underwhelmed by this and that's assuming we don't get the brie Priestley match because that wasn't mentioned so i don't think it's happening tony Shibani uh, next interviewed colt cabana because he's 2-0 although i think all on AEW dark so what does that count for um, he said ford would be better off without sabian he said this with in feet of sabian and ford Sabian was quite upset, and I believe so Cabana just slapped him, and that was that. They'll probably have a match, and that'll be that. We came back from a break with Tony uh, earlier today. He was interviewing John Moxley. He wasn't medically cleared, so he couldn't enter the arena. Apparently, AEW does observe some rules. And he told us he wasn't going to punch any cops, but he'll be lurking in the corner for the inner circle. I feel like the cops should do something about that. Kind of a nonsensical promo, but short and sweet, which I give Moxley credit for, and then he drove off. So not bad. The Butcher and the Blade appeared without the bunny, which kind of just doesn't work for me without the bunny. They would face Jungle Express without Marco Stunt. And the same thing, it doesn't work for me me without Stunt. Uh, Just don't do this match without the bunny and Stunt. And at this point, I can confirm Jake Roberts and Lance Archer, Lance Archer were in the crowd. Not that you would notice or anyone cared. MJF paid the butcher and the blade, but I thought he was already paying them. But he paid them money, like he gave them an envelope weeks ago. I, they gotta get a e-transfer going or something. Anyway, so he, he he pays in cash in the arena. His hired henchmen, who have only come to this company because of MJF, I, I just I, why. And uh, even stupider, Jungle Boy starts this match. It's not like Luchasaurus is his partner, which he is. MJF calls for the finish. Uh, this throws off the bunny and... Uh, the, no bunny, I'm sorry. The Butcher and the Blade. I just missed the bunny. And the Express One. And as a guy who does a podcast called the Express, you'd think I'd be happy, but this did nothing for me. The Dark Order came out and Evil Uno told us the Exalted One is here. Stu Grayson was scheduled to have a match, I believe, with Kazarian or... Daniels, I don't even remember now. It didn't happen. Uh, But Daniels and Kazarian, who are still in the front row. uh, By the way, they're in the front row for this whole show, except for after this. They interrupted. Daniels said the Dark Order had wasted their time. They hadn't made anyone better. There is no Exalted One. And right on cue, we cut to the screen. We get a promo. We get the voice of the Exalted One. It was Brody Lee, as everybody expected, I think. Daniels, wasn't the first out-of-touch man who didn't believe in him. That's what Brody told us. And as we return to the ring, Brody Lee, very much like his old friend Bray Wyatt, he's already in the ring, and they attacked. And that was pretty much it. And Brody's delivery's good. The costume's pretty good. The payoff's decent here. But man, this really now feels like a, a worn-out Wyatt family. Like a poor man's Wyatt family with jobbers. I think they should have gone with Matt Hardy, especially given what we'll find out later. Tony Schiavone was very busy. He now interviewed Jake the Snake Roberts and Lance Archer. Snake and Archer aren't here to talk, which was a weird way to sort of promo. Snake told us he doesn't play games, which I thought that's exactly what he was doing. It's one thing to keep away, but to ignore him is spitting in his face. Didn't seem like a reasonable response at all. He listened to Cody and his friends and I quote, bitching like two little girls. Ooh, Jake, we're in 2020. Shouldn't be saying that. And he said he would shut. The, he said to shut him up if he could. Again, a little late because Cody started the show. You easily could have. like, I think you were already in the crowd, right? Or you weren't far. Um, after that, and, and I mean, after this promo, they gave us a video package about Archer. Not the other way around. After this promo, as they left. Bizarre, and the promo some farm which looked like the Hardy complex, which is even more ironic as we will go later to this show, and it was basically Jake the Snake Robert show up shows up with Archer. There's some kind of jobber fest happening where round by round he's killing these jobbers, and I assume this was shot before COVID nineteen because again this was more than ten people twice in one show, um, and he threw some guy through a car at the end of this. This did nothing for me. Like, nothing. Like, it was different, but and it told us Lance was a monster, which I assumed, but didn't really build him as a character. We then found out next week Wardlow would face Luchasaurus. I forgot this was a thing because Wardlow was sitting pretty comfortably doing nothing during that Butcher and Blade Jurassic Express match literally 20, 30 minutes ago. We're also going to see... Lucha Bros taking on the best friends in that street fight. It looks like Pax still won't be there because this death triangle thing is already dead. We also have uh, the Blood and, Gu- Blood and Guts is still happening. The Inner Circle taking on the Elite without Matt-, Matt Jackson. So it made tonight a must win for the Elite, who we're about to find out did not win. Uh, the main event was the Inner Circle... And the three you didn't want to see, Santana, Ortiz, and Hager, accompanied by Sammy Guevara, taking on the elite. The three you probably didn't want to see, Cody, Matt Jackson, and Hangman Page. I'm just kidding. Uh, Kenny at ringside with the bad arm. And uh, Jericho entered late so he could be on commentary. It was a great bit where Sammy sung his song as he went to the ring. Uh, they also randomly showed Billy Gunn and his son in the crowd. Because why not? Like we're going to slap the COVID suggestion to have 10 or more people which came all the way down for the president, why not do it repeatedly during a two-hour broadcast on TNT? Unbelievable. For Billy Gunn and his son, no less. And I've interviewed Billy Gunn. I like Billy Gunn, but it's just unnecessary. So the inner circle, stop Hangman Page and Jackson from trying to do a double-team move, which was a pretty pivotal point in this match, and they just kind of get a roll-up or whatever off that, which is a little anticlimactic, but the narratively, I like this. There's a great promo after from Jericho, after he told everyone to shut off his music, because they weren't doing it, and there weren't any fans anyways, and they've never had a problem, which is a very good point, the inner circle is a cohesive unit, and then a drone came down, the loudest drone ever, and interrupts Jericho, somebody from the inner circle, I can't even remember, made the point, that they weren't alone, and they introduced their fifth member, because I guess Matt Jackson's not coming back, and the piano plays, and it's Matt Hardy. And as far as a way to end an episode of Dynamite, this is pretty good, but I really, really think Matt Hardy should have been the leader, the exalted one, and Brody Lee should have been part of the elite. It just, it doesn't allow Brody Lee to feel like he's rehashing the Wyatt family, and it doesn't make Matt Hardy just feel like He's just the deleter of worlds. He's he's got something else. But that's what I thought. And overall, with this episode of Dynamite, here's what I want to say. When we look back on this episode, I give AEW Dynamite a lot of credit for doing a show, for doing more matches than WWE did on Raw and SmackDown combined. But... You can do that with 10 or less people. You don't have to have tag team matches. You don't have to have a six-man tag. The level of disrespect for what was going on in the world and a lot of the weird choices and lame payoffs that came with it were very disappointing. And I don't think that's going to change going forward. I'm happy AEW Dynamite is still happening. But this is just foolish to have not just the live event, but even a pre-taped segment to situations where you are around 15 to 20 people in the same area when they've asked you, when your president has asked you to keep it to 10 or less. Completely unacceptable. You can tweet me at bllv87 on Twitter, and you can reach me on Instagram at the same handle. Peace. Never sleeps network.